0: We're um, to question number 35 in our study of the Shorter Catechism. So if you need a catechism, there's some on the back table. We just recently printed some new ones, so there's plenty of them there. So we're continuing looking at this section that we are on now that has to do with the benefits of, that we have from Christ is our Redeemer, when He is our Redeemer. Uh, These are summarized in question 32, which I spoke about a few weeks ago. So let's confess that question together. Question 32, what benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification adoption and sanctification, and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. In the past two weeks, we looked at the first two benefits, justification and adoption. In justification, God declares that we are acceptable in his sight. That's a remarkable thing because we're not. (laughs) We're sinners who have sinned against God and therefore in that way are not acceptable to him. We were cast from his presence. We were sentenced to die. We were sentenced to bear the curse for all eternity. And that's what we deserve. So how can God come and say people like us who are not righteous are righteous? How can he justify us? That's what he does when he he declares officially that we are righteous. How could he say that? we are somehow acceptable in his eyes. Well, it's because we are made acceptable by Jesus Christ. So question 33 tells us this. Let's look at that um, now and confess that one. Question 33, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. God has appointed Jesus Christ. He appointed him to come here for the very purpose of making all of his elect people righteous. He did this by standing in as our representative before God in behalf of all of his people, as the one who stands before God for us, he lived the life that we all should have lived, that we all should live. And he was punished not for any sins that he committed, he didn't commit any sins, but for the sins that we committed. The result is that his righteousness becomes our righteousness, and his suffering and death for our sins becomes our suffering and death, so that we are pardoned by that. And last week, we saw that God has done even more, though, than justify us and make us acceptable in his sight. He did not stop with that, with his benefits. He also has taken us into his very own family, into his household, which we call adoption. We are made joint heirs with Christ, His only son, our Lord. This is summarized in question 34. So let's confess this also in unison. Question 34, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. We truly do become God's children when he adopts us. We saw that Jesus can't wait to bring us to his house at the last day where we can see the beautiful love that he shares with his father and where remarkably we will have the privilege of sharing in that same love. And even now we can live in the comfort and assurance that we are the children of God. We can fully trust him to love us as a wise and strong father And we can come to him for help when we need help. Our God is there for us as our father. What marvelous benefits then we have from Christ in this life. And now this week we're going to look at yet another benefit we have in this life. And that is sanctification. Sanctification means that we are changed so that we live for God. Who did not live for God. As our Redeemer, the Lord transforms us so that we can serve Him better and so that we can love Him more, all by His grace. You might say that sanctification is the process of learning to live for God. Well, let's look at the question about this. It's 35. Let's confess this together. Question 35 What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Let me make a few observations and then we'll have our scripture reading. Okay, first, the word sanctification. Sanctification. That word belongs to a whole family of words that in both the Hebrew and the Greek language are related to the word holy. There is the word saint, which can also be translated holy one. There's the word holiness, sanctify, sanctification, hallow, hallowed, set apart. They all have the same root. In both Hebrew and Greek, they all have to do with being set apart from sin and corruption to God. God is holy because he is separate from sin and opposed to sin. He has no communion or fellowship or concord with sin. If he did, then he would be himself a corrupt God. But but he does not. He is pure. Um. As Psalm, uh, it, as it says in Second Corinthians six fourteen, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? So God doesn't have anything in common with sin. Second thing to observe in our Catechism is that it describes sanctification. You see as a work of God's free grace. Saying that it is of free grace means that it is something that God does for us without our doing anything to earn it or deserve it. Grace implies a free gift. You may remember that justification and adoption were also of God's free grace, but they were called acts rather than works. Sanctification is called a work. Justification and adoption are acts. What is the difference? Well, the difference is that both justification and adoption happen all at once. It's an act. Once it's done, it's done. If you're adopted, you don't become more adopted later on. You're as adopted as you ever can be. If you're justified, you're as justified as you ever can be. But sanctification is different. It works out as a process over time. It's a work that God does on a, over, over a long period of time. So he makes us more and more holy as it says that we may more and more die to sin and live unto righteousness. So we don't become more and more justified and more and more adopted, but we do become more and more sanctified. Thirdly, notice that it says that we are renewed in the whole man. This is important because it shows that sanctification touches every part of us, touches our soul as well as our bodies. It touches our mind as well as our will and our emotions or affections. No part of us is untouched by sanctification. We're not completely sanctified, as I already showed you, but no part of us is left out of the process of sanctification. Fourthly, notice that we are said to be renewed in the image of God. So in the whole man, and then after the image of God. When when we studied about the creation of man, I showed you that man was created in the image of God. And you remember, it didn't mean that God has arms and legs and uh, a body and that sort of thing. He doesn't have a body like we do. So the image of God doesn't mean that we look like him that way. But we saw that the image of God is referred to in scripture that we're created after his image in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. And so that's what it's talking about, that we're renewed in knowledge, righteousness and holiness to his likeness. That's the work of sanctification. Finally, you see how the change is described. It says that we are enabled to die to sin and to live to righteousness. In other words, we're able to make progress in obeying the will of God. There's an erroneous view of sanctification that says that we just let God do things through us. Like, uh, like I, I let him love you through me kind of thing that he kind of works in me and my, I do loving things. And it's true that he works in me and my, I do loving things. But it, when he works in me, he works so that I do those things. He changes me so that I do those things. And it's like I, I, some of you remember this illustration I've used for a long time that when when my children were little and uh, they would come and ask me to open a jar and uh, I would tell them that I'm not like the Holy Spirit because if I was like the Holy Spirit, I could make them able to open the jar. But I'm not like the Holy Spirit. I have to open it for them. So I may be stronger than they are. God's Spirit is certainly stronger than we are. But he is able, when he sanctifies us, he changes us so that we do the loving and we do the obeying. That's the thing that is so wonderful. It's not with sanctification. Justification, we have Jesus doing the obeying for us and the dying for us. But with sanctification, God then enables us to actually live for him. So for our scripture reading, I've chosen the passage that talks about that, Romans 6. Romans 6 talks about sanctification and it calls us to engage in this work. Something we engage in. Again, we look to be the ones who are obeying and who are loving God and serving Him. We don't look for that to be done in some kind of a way that channeling through us like we're possessed or something. But it's more like that's, that's the difference between the way the Holy Spirit works and the way the devil works. The devil will possess someone and speak through them and work through them but the holy spirit so changes us that we speak and we work and we act again so scripture reading is romans 6 give careful attention this is the word of god what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we, shall also, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you shall obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you are slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to his holy and infallible word. You may have noticed in this passage, it doesn't actually mention the word sanctification. But it does speak of the word related to it, the word holy. It talks about how as Christians, we now live for God. And it talks about what sanctification is that as Christians we now die to sin and we live more and more to righteousness. So although it doesn't use the word sanctification, the whole chapter is about sanctification. As we begin to think about sanctification, you can see from Romans 6 and the catechism that it very much has to do with the quality of our relationship with God. It, can, it grows out of a relationship that with God that has been restored through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God of some kind. Before we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is characterized by sin and rebellion. This can be seen in Romans 6, where Paul describes what the people he is writing to were like before They came to Jesus to be redeemed by him. There is a change you see in them as people in how they behave. It's not like justification, a change about them, a declaration made about them because of the work of another, but a change in them. In verse 20, he says, for when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. It's pretty terrible. Free in regard to righteousness. That's a very serious problem that we have as human beings born into this fallen human race. Just think of it, slaves to sin. We're in bondage to sin. We're serving sin. We were in bondage to a way of life, essentially, that did not regard God as God and as our creator whom we ought to obey. We looked at him as someone whose word could be set aside when we wish. We look to him for advice or guidance as we want it, but we don't look to God as the one who is God, who has authority. we could not do what was right in God's eyes because rebellion was in us. This does not mean that we were necessarily actively opposing God though when we say this that we got up each morning and we said, "What can I do against God today that we were thinking about that as a deliberate thing no we We may have even sought to do things to please him at times, but the whole of our life was not oriented to serving him. And the way of pleasing him was based on what we thought would please him rather than us actually coming to him as God. We might do our God bit and go to church. We might help somebody, but overall, we were not serving him and seeking to promote his glory. And many times we even did things that we knew were contrary to his will. Though we might try to pretend that it wasn't. We would do things that were prohibited by him. Such a life is utterly futile. Living apart from God leads only to death. Paul asks the Romans question about this in Romans 6.21. He says, what fruit did you have in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That life alienated from God leads to death carries a powerful punch for us today doesn't it if we're not serving god what pathway are we on where are we going if we're not serving god well we're on the pathway to death we're all on the road to death until christ sets us free a new relationship with god begins when we come to christ we are then put into god's service we who are once slaves to sin, become slaves of God. We have seen that that other wonderful things happen when Christ redeems us, right? The benefits that we've already looked at. We are justified and adopted. Being justified means that we're declared righteous and fit to spend eternity with God through, through faith in Jesus Christ. And being adopted means that we are received as God's sons and are joined heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us here, though, that if we have been justified and adopted, we have also been sanctified. You can't separate justification and adoption from sanctification and say that, oh, I'm justified and uh, adopted, but I'm not sanctified. We're made God's slaves at the same time that we're justified and adopted. We're put into service where we belong. We're made his children so that we live as in his house. It's not only that we're declared righteous, but that we are put into true service to God. And again, we are changed so that we're enabled to, to serve him. It's not a change in our status. It's an actual change in our character from serving others to serving God, from serving sin to serving God. Verse 22 says, But now, having been Set free from sin, which you were in bondage before and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. So you see the fruit of what you were doing before was death and the fruit now is everlasting life. So we're given a new life. The life of obedience is the eternal life. It is life that lasts forever, from serving sin to serving God. We have a new master in the same way that a slave who had a master named Bob, who is a fisherman, has an entirely new situation when he goes to a new master named Joe, who is a farmer. When that, when that new master acquires him as his servant. The change for us when Christ redeems us is that instead of serving Satan, and sin as our master, we now serve God. Verse 22 shows us that our service to God puts us in an entirely different, on an entirely different trajectory. Our life is headed to an entirely different place because of the master that we now serve. Serving sin was fruitless, led to death. Serving God produces fruit to holiness, in the end, everlasting life. Holiness is the opposite of sin. Living for God continues forever. Living in rebellion against God is terminated by death. Holiness is the opposite of sin. It means that you're living and thinking and breathing for God in concord and harmony with God. That's sanctification. And that's where serving God ends up with holiness, with a beautiful relationship with between you and your creator, between as creature to creator. And that's life eternal. That's life that goes on forever. The scripture is teaching us here that having come to Christ, we are now enlisted into God's service. From now on, we are his slaves and we have the pleasure to serve him. This has implications for us about how we should live. And that's our next point. As soon as we come to Jesus, we are to engage in service to God as our new master. You know how this works in other relationships. When you get a new job, it's your responsibility to obey your new employer. If he's Joe, the farmer that you've come to work for, then you don't keep going fishing with Bob. If you're working if you're now Joe's servant and you show up to work at the, at the fishing dock then Joe's going to wonder where you are because you're working for him now. Why are you working for this other guy? In the very same way when you come to Jesus and are redeemed, he puts you into God's service. So from now on, you're to serve God. You're not to give you're not to go on serving your old master sin because been redeemed. You've been bought with a price to serve a new master. But this is, in fact, the issue, the very issue that Paul's addressing in Romans chapter 6. He's saying, so if we've been converted and redeemed and brought to God, then do we keep on serving sin? Or can we keep on serving sin? Can, Can I be redeemed and made Joe's servant and keep on serving Bob. And he's saying, of course not. <laughs> there were some apparently that had objected to Paul's teaching about justification that he'd given earlier in Romans in the chapter three and four and five, where he talked about justification. And they were saying to Paul, well, if you're teaching that we're justified on the basis of Jesus's obedience and suffering, then people will just go on sinning. I was like, well, I, I have my standing with God because of what Jesus did. If we're accepted by God as righteous, as being okay on the basis of what he did and not what we do, and if, and if that is also supposed to magnify God's grace, then I guess the more sin I do, the more it magnifies his grace. Because I say, hey, I'm not standing in what I do, I'm standing in what he does. See, I go out and I, you know, I murder and commit adultery and blaspheme God and do all these things because, hey, I, I'm, I'm trusting in, in, in Jesus. Paul says, is that how this is supposed to work? He redeemed you to be his servant. He purchased you. That's what redemption is, to be his servant or set you free from another enemy or whatever in order that you would serve him. And so you go back serving the enemy. You keep serving the enemy. That's, that's not redemption. See how Paul begins chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is that going to make God's grace seem greater? That He says that's what some people are saying that we teach. The more sin we have, the more God's grace and forgiveness will shine. Well, Paul declares emphatically that, of course, we are not to continue in sin. We were redeemed that we might be restored to God, that we might live for him. To the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. Redemption produces a radical change in those who truly receive it so that they are dead to their old master. They are no longer in his service. Sin is no longer their master because the Lord has brought them into his service now. Paul supports this by pointing to our baptism, interestingly, he explains in verses 3 and 4 that we're baptized into Jesus Christ so that we have the benefits of his death on the cross and of his resurrection in how we live now. Okay, not just that we have those benefits in what he did for us for our acceptance with God and justification, but we actually have an organic kind of a connection so that we die with him and we live with him now by his redemptive work brings his people into a right relationship with God by by justification securing our forgiveness and acceptance but he doesn't do this so that we can keep on living in rebellion to God and just be forgiven for it okay you you could just keep on sinning and God will just forgive you because hey you've been justified and doesn't really matter whether you live for him or not no he doesn't do that he wants to redeem us to serve God his whole goal in obtaining pardon is to reconcile us to God from whom we were estranged not to say oh you won't you can keep on like living apart from God and it doesn't matter because you'll be forgiven no it matters very much the whole reason is to restore you to God so that we can die to what we were and live to God. In verse three, then he says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What death? Well, his death for our sins, so that the old life of sin and condemnation could be put behind us as soon as we come to Him to be cleansed, as soon as we're baptized, as soon as we come to Christ, and then we're set in a new life. And this was not just so the old life of sin could end, but it was so the new life with God could begin. So verse four it completes the picture, showing that the outcome is an immediate rec- a, a, an immediate um, I can't say the word a resurrection <laughs> into a new life. We're resurrected into a new life right away. Verse four. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so, what's the outcome of this resurrected with him? Even so, we should walk in newness of life. So I'm alive with Christ now to serve God. That's what he did for me. This was all done so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Look at verse 5 and 6. For if we have been united together, okay, baptism unites us, joins us to Christ in his cleansing. If we've been united in the likeness of his death, okay, he, he died, we die with him when we believe. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So life follows, not just death. We die to the old, live to the new. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So this means that you have been enlisted into God's service by redemption in Christ Jesus. Just as God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt to serve him, so that Satan I mean, uh, Pharaoh is no longer their master, so He brings us out so that Satan is no longer our master. And sin is not our master that we can serve God. You have a new master and your master is God. So if we have been enlisted into God's service, then we are to serve him from now on. You're to see yourself as God's servant now. That's what verse 11 is telling you. Likewise, you also reckon or consider, recognize Yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what kind of idiot is it that gets a new job as a farmer with Joe and keeps showing up to the fishing dock where he used to work to work with Bob? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. You're not working for Bob anymore. So quit serving him and start serving Joe. You're not working for sin anymore. Verse 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. Why would you obey the desires of sin, the sinful lusts, when it's not your master anymore? You obey the desire of the Spirit of God. You're now to present yourself to the Lord to serve Him, to do His will. You show up to work to God. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Why why does he say this member thing anyway? Why Why does he keep talking about that? It is talking about what we actually do with our body. Yes, sanctification has to do with our mind and how we think and the renewing of our mind. But it works out into what we're doing every day. What are we doing with our hands and our feet? What are we doing with our bodies? Are our members oriented around doing the will of God? Are we still under another master? Under sin? That's the question that's being asked here. So he says... Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 15 brings us back to the original question. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Ever had anybody say that? They say, uh, Oh, well, you know, we're we're under grace now. I don't need to obey God's commandments because we're under grace. No, that's ridiculous. Do we say, I've been accepted by God Almighty by his grace. He no longer counts my sin against me, but has fully pardoned me and accepted me as righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, since God accepts me by grace, I can keep on serving my old master. Is that the point? I'm accepted by God so I can keep on serving my old master now. The whole point is to restore you to God. The redemption of Jesus was for the purpose of bringing you back into harmony with God and service to him. Not to give you a way of refusing to show up to work without having any consequences. Okay, so obvious a point that it's almost confusing, isn't it? Verse 16 asks you, do you not know? that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You can tell who somebody as a slave belongs to or who somebody works for. We could say it in our, our context. If you see the guy out on the fishing boat every day with Bob working away, you say, oh, he works for Bob. And if you see the guy out on the farm every day working with Joe, you say, oh, he works for Joe. It's not complicated. Is it not the same then in this case? Have have I been redeemed and restored to God? Well, who am I serving? What do people see? Am I serving God? Then it means that I'm his servant. Am I serving Satan and sin? Then it means I'm the sin of Satan and sin. But I know, you know, there's a problem, isn't there? You've come to Christ and you want to serve God, but you find that you're not so consistent. (laughs) It's one thing to talk about it in these plain terms that Paul talks about it here. But it calls for the question, how can you get on in your service to God? How can you make progress? Because you say, yeah, I want to serve God, but I keep falling back. Really, the question here is what? How can I be sanctified? That's what we're talking about. Sanctification. Remember the word, what the word involves. It's a process of dying more and more to sin and living more and more to God and righteousness. And that's exactly what making progress in your service to God is all about. Dying to sin and living to righteousness. And what is so encouraging about sanctification is that it is, as the catechism says, a work of God's free grace. It's something that God does. He brings us more and more into his service. He transforms us so that we die to sin and live to righteousness. We do the dying to sin. Again, God doesn't here do the dying for us. Jesus did that for our justification. But now we're the one that is doing the dying to sin is God enables us to die to our old master and what we were, and he makes us alive, enabling us to live in service to him. As he said to his people of old, what we read in Leviticus 20, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. What did God do to sanctify them? He brought them from their old master under his dominion and authority, So that now he was their Lord. That's the Christian confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the encouraging truth then is that it is God who sanctifies us. And that's emphasized throughout Romans 6. All the way through, the emphasis is that it is the Lord who has taken us out of sin and has put us in service to himself. For example, in verse 5, it doesn't there tell us that we must serve God. Look at this. This is verse 5. It doesn't say that we must serve God, but it actually tells us that we will serve God. Of course, if we have come to Christ, we often read it that we must serve God. But it's actually a promise here that if we have come to him, we will serve God. Verse 5, again, I'll read it to you. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is our assurance that if we truly have come to Christ, he will bring us into fuller and fuller service to God. We will be in the likeness of his resurrection. As it says in verse eight, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We're going to live to God, to be able to live for God as Jesus does. He is going to take these old stubborn souls and he's going to cause them more and more to live for God. And just as sin does not have dominion over him, so it does not have dominion over us. Verse 14, it bothers us still, but it can never dominate us again if we have been born again, if we have come to Jesus for salvation. And in the end, it will be completely abolished, not by our own works, but by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 17 and 18 remind us that God is to be thanked because it is his work. He's the one that brought us into God's service in the first place. And it was all of his grace. Look at verse 17. But God be thanked that though you are slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You, in other words, you you believe the gospel. You repented and you believed the gospel and you looked to God to save you. He says, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And because he is the one who brought you into that service, we can be sure of the outcome. The outcome that we've already seen in verse 22. The outcome of having sin as our master is what? Death. But the outcome of having God as our master is holiness that ends in everlasting life. There's a trajectory. One goes to death. One goes to life. Let's dwell on that phrase for a minute that having become slaves to God, which Christ made us to be, you have your fruit to holiness. Now that you are God's slaves, it is true that you do not always serve him the way that you should. But as your master, he's going to do what every master does. What does a master do if his servants aren't serving him? If you go to work for a farmer, you might not know everything about farming at first. but The farmer is going to train you. You're going to make progress. You're going to become more and more skilled. He'll show you how to do things. He'll guide you. If I could use the term this way, you will become more and more sanctified as a farmer because you've got a master to train you. You'll become more holy as a farmer. Now, don't you believe that if you are a slave to God, that he will train you, that he will do it well? He certainly will. He is going to train you and his training will be effective. In other words, being in his service produces holiness. It certainly does. That's what it says in verse 22. Having become slaves to God, which Christ made us to be, you have your fruit to holiness. Let me tell you, when God trains you, there is an incredible advantage because he has the ability to transform your heart. He is able to give you grace for obedience. So there's no training like his training. We need to believe and know that God can effectively transform us. Look at verse 22. It tells you that the end of this service to God will be eternal life. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. His training is for eternity. Sometimes you get a job somewhere and you kind of get trained a bit and you start making progress, but then you go on somewhere else and you start over another job, another master, another kind of work. You have to kind of start all over again. But this is the best training in the world. Be eager to receive it. It leads to eternal walking with God. And this growing ability to serve God, this sanctification, is all by the grace of God. The last verse in Romans 6 drives this point home when it says, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, the Lord. You see the contrast. When you serve sin, you receive a fair payment for your service. What is the payment for your service to sin? What we all naturally do, apart from the grace of God, is death. That's what you get your paycheck. Okay? But eternal life is God's gift. Your service to God itself is a part of the gift. In other words, you are not given eternal life as a reward for serving God. That's not the right way to think of it. But service to God is the gift. It is the gift of eternal life. Because once you are put into this service, you are put into it eternally, forever. We might say that the gift of God is that you are God's slave forever and ever we can serve him for all eternity and though you're yet in training now the fruit of that training is ever-increasing holiness from start to finish all the praise for sanctification goes to god he brings us into his service he sanctifies us in his service and he keeps us in his service forever in closing I would like to go to a passage in Philippians 2 that sums this all up very well for us. Philippians 2 begins with that well-known passage that calls us to have the mind of Christ, a mind that is characterized by complete obedience, even to the point of going to the cross, kind of what we looked at this morning. Uh, Our desire is to reach that point in our service to God, in our sanctification, where we're willing to do the Father's will no matter what. Um, we, we have a long way to go. So the apostle admonishes us in verse 12, after he tells us what the goal is, he says, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your goal in your service to God is to be holy in the same way that Christ is holy, Complete sanctification is the goal. Nothing less than that. This is quite overwhelming. It's quite daunting. But thanks be to God, there's another verse. Verse 13, it adds to the call. It adds to the call to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. These words, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do For his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You say that's hard. What's the encouragement? It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. To desire, to will to do what is good, and to actually carry out those desires. Sanctification is his work. He gives us both the desire and the ability to do it. He makes us into servants that delight to serve him. And serve him we shall. He is the Lord who sanctifies us. If sanctification were left up to us, we would be left without hope. But Philippians 2, 12 and 13 assures us that once the Lord has brought us into his service, he will complete the work of our sanctification. Thanks be to God. Enter into his service then with confidence, not in your own ability, but in the ability of the one who sanctifies you, God Almighty. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the benefits that you have given to us in our redemption, even benefits that we experience in this life. We thank you that though we were sinners and could never have a a good record before you from anything that we might do that you by Jesus Christ justified us that he came and lived the life representing us that we should have lived. And then he represented us on the cross and died for our sins. We thank you that you accepted that and that you brought us into your family as well. You made us sons and daughters, but none of that changes our character in and of itself. It's not about having a new character, but sanctification is. And we thank you, Lord, that those that you justify and adopt, that you also sanctify. And that when we come to you for life, that life doesn't stop with being forgiven and being positionally declared righteous or even being brought into your family. It moves on with actually living that life in your family and living in that life as one who has been restored to you and redeemed. So, Lord, we pray that that we would see the fruit of sanctification in our lives, which is holiness, that more and more we would die to sin and we would live to righteousness, that more and more we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength that more and more we would hate sin and turn away from it with repulsion. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with so many blessings. And we pray, Lord, that our faithfulness would be evident to all, not because of our strength, but because of your grace working in us. We pray that we would advance from strength to strength by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's sing Psalm 84, Receive the blessing of the Lord our God. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Great encouragement for us as God's people. Amen.